Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. Okay, where do you want the weeds? I think in the right, next to the um, next to the insoles over there. No, 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 that doesn't work. Uh, let's go left under the window. Yeah, I feel like you're gonna hit people with a pretty hard one-two punch if you go insoles and then weeds. Yeah, you know it's too much of a juxtaposition. I don't think it's I don't think it's justifiable. Yeah. To be well, I mean, when people enter an exhibit, typically they do tend towards the right. And mm, instinctually, if, if we're talking like from an exhibit design layout. So, you know, what what do you kind of like want to, to bring people into this uh, exhibition that we're setting up? I think we need to have some more cats in the beginning, mm -hmm. uh, not the musical. I think we need like keyboard cat, bongo cat, uh -huh. uh, the whole entire orchestra of cats Ineffable. playing to lead us exactly to lead us in mm -hmm. so then you're 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 given a soft blow before you're hit with some pretty scary stuff especially naked yeah. mario um you know i think i think you need the you need like talking tom in there though just to like mm -hmm. to let people know they're gonna see some unsettling things you know uh, yeah, very true. Whether... Did we get the headphones in? Did we get the headset in to kind of like guide people through? Did those come yet? Yeah, I think, you know, this is definitely an, uh, an exhibit with an audio component to it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I could only imagine if you, if you did all of the sound of keyboard cat, a talking cat, like, you know, like every single auditory cat meme at once the cacophony of that yeah uh I, that might actually drive people to insanity it's a it's a fine line but we got our best producers on it really i think Wonderful. uh getting on this you know the budget was a bit increased so they're taking a little bit of a risk here There's at the no uncanny expense. county museum absolutely not this is a once in a lifetime yeah i uh i love the way that we approached the the museum committee <laughs> and you know asked for a lot of money to do an exhibit on uh, defunct internet culture. Yeah, well, you know, it's hip, it's in, it's a, it's a bit of looking back and deconstructing some things, and I think, you know, it's important to get into, you know? Uh, it's yeah. kind of amazing how much you can sell something if you just do it in a Fred voice. <laughs> I mean, well, good thing that worked, otherwise I was going to do it in a Thomas Sanders voice. Oh, man. Yeah. I think we have kind of an opportunity here to talk about it, you know, almost in an anthropological type of way. What, mm -hmm. what, what the, the internet meant to us as young people and what, what sort of our, our introductions to it were. And I, I do want to explore that in this exhibit. Um, 
But, Joe, I gotta show you something. Oh, okay. If you'll just uh, follow me through this yeah, way, sure. past this false wall here. Oh, okay. Um, We are now in the blue room. Oh, yeah. And um, if... Uh, let me flip on the uh, lights here. Now, this is a very special tone of blue. Mm. As if, you know, as if that does not strike enough fear into you in the middle of this room do you see the pit yeah what can we get a light on that there it is joe oh god no <laughs> the... <laughs> what have you done i used the uncanny county's uh resources for the museum to get the actual authentic dashcon ball pit wait this is the real thing yes oh my this god a, you really didn't spare no don't expense. touch it someone peed in it oh yeah it smells yeah that's all part of the experience i think i think we should be yeah. thankful we can't smell the internet yet <laughs> god what would the internet smell like Ugh. yeah it's like body odor and like axe mixed with Mm. what what would what would you what okay so like instagram would be something instagram i feel like it would be something like juniper you know mm. um, yeah tumblr would smell like oh god <laughs> <laughs> tumblr tumblr would be a roll-on target deodorant yeah that sounds about right to yeah. be honest I, um, oh my God. so what is, I, I, the interesting thing is we have, we were on Tumblr at similar times. Mm -hmm. We had very different experiences of it. And I'm not, along with my own admission that I love counting crows. Yeah. <laughs> um, another questionable thing about me is that I, uh, in the year of our Lord 2020, <laughs> am still on Tumblr.com. Still holding out. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what What is your experience with uh with this blue hell? Well, uh, did I ever tell you how I got a Tumblr? No, you did haven't. I ever... Okay, I feel like the only way to preface my experience on Tumblr is to explain why I have a Tumblr or why I got a Tumblr. I don't mm -hmm. have one anymore. So I I don't know. I had multiple different groups of friends throughout the beginning of high school and early, you know, late middle school. And I remember being told what a Tumblr was. And I thought it was a rock Tumblr, <laughs> literally. <laughs> I was like, uh, you mean like the thing you crush rocks with? And they're like, no, it's an internet you know site and it's like oh okay you didn't think um, it was the, and, the type of cup a tumbler no 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 i didn't Not you didn't think it was Maybe the gymnastics now. term no that one didn't make too much sense i thought rocks hmm. for some reason interesting head empty just rock but i yeah and this was like at the time i think omega was happening still so it was always just like mm -hmm. i remember like this was one girl who was telling me about it and i was just not interested and then 2013, 2014 rolls around. Oh, what a time. Yeah. I got really into Doctor Who. 
and I got really into Sherlock. Oh, that's the place. Yeah, and like I dipped my toe into those fandoms. Mm-hmm. But before that, I needed to watch the show. And there was the first season and the second season were on Netflix. And I binged through them. And I was like, this is awesome. I need more because that second season cliffhanger is insane. And I curse them for doing that to their fan base because it was like three years or no, two or three years that they left people hanging on a really, really huge cliffhanger. But anyway, I digress. So I needed to watch season three. And I remember people were saying, well, if you do it, you have to, it's better to watch the English version because in the American version, they cut stuff out. And I was like, I want my uncut Sherlock. I need it. But you can't get it um, in the US in time unless you had a VPN. Mm -hmm. Now, there was no ExpressVPN at the time. At least maybe I didn't know that. And I remember hacking my way through different apps, trying to figure out the best way to do this because I was like researching it, going crazy and finding that you can get a VPN to proxy, to get like a proxy to connect your server to one of the British servers. So then your internet changes and it thinks you're in the UK. And so you can get access to the BBC, Whoa. which I think you also need that license. So I was doing some illegal things Were to watch the show. You weren't paying your TV license. No, I didn't. I didn't pay my TV license. Um, I hope the British government doesn't find me. I would have loved that if you had, you know, looked out your window in suburban <laughs> New Jersey and seen the TV detection van. <laughs> oh, you got a license for that. Um, <laughs> and so, so that works and it's, a, it's like a VPN, but basically it eats up your time mm-hmm. and you only had so many hours free and it was like the, just the right amount for the first episode. So I didn't get to use it for the second and there was no way I was going to pay for some sketchy app. Mm-hmm. So I remember hearing about Tumblr and why people were so into Tumblr and their fandoms and they would post about like Super Hulak and all this other stuff. And I I wasn't really that interested, but I knew if there's anywhere that's going to have a link, it's going to be Tumblr. And what do I do? I make a Tumblr. I make my account. You know, I I start getting into it. I start figuring out my blog and I'm like, okay, this is kind of nice. This is kind of interesting. And I immediately get to it and I start searching and prowling for a link. And it took me five minutes to find somebody who posted a Google Doc or a Google Drive with all of the episodes. Well, one thing that people would do also is there would be entire posts. I mean, back back in the like really wild, wild west days of Tumblr, you would just see these master posts of here's where to watch everything ever free. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was kind of like that, except it was literally like, hey, I got them. No worries. Mm-hmm. And it was clean. Like, it wasn't even, like, sketchy, like, download here. It was like, here's a link. And then it just brought it up on your computer. It wasn't like it was, like, directing you to kiss anime or kiss cartoon. No. No, no, no. It was right on, like, it was like a YouTube video. I definitely got a virus on my old computer from kiss cartoon. Yeah, I used to watch uh, kiss anime and kiss cartoon all of the time. Mm-hmm. And... I got out just before it was cracked. Like, where, because I remember my sister and I would watch on Kiss Anime, and then she's like, hey, this is uh, can compromised, so you might want to stop using it. I mean, it was always sketchy. It was like, yeah. I was in Australia and wanted to watch regular show. Mm. But, um, you know, like, there was a lot of stuff that just wasn't available there. So I would just, you know, go on there, and, you know, sure, there's, you know, anime tentacle porn ads in the margins of my laptop but you know if you full screen you don't (laughs) see all of them 
Exactly. Yeah, the things we do to watch cartoons. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, and that was why I had a Tumblr. And then I was like, well, this is interesting. And I started becoming a fan blog. Mm -hmm. I was very much into Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. Sherlock Mm -hmm. and Doctor Who all at the same time, give or take. And that's the best aesthetic you can find. So I would just repost things. I would find my own images and put them up and like i was oh would you have like really dramatic gifts or like they were just like i don't know like i would call it like washed out mm. like they weren't even like bad movie clips like where it's very like overexposed or um underexposed it was just like something you would see on early instagram or yeah. even like now tumblr, with like different tumblr filters. had it down like i mean i think the the word aesthetic is yes. definitely still thrown around a lot on Tumblr, mm-hmm. both mm-hmm. ironically and unironically. Yeah. But it does, that is such a useful, that is such a useful description of, mm-hmm. you know, on Tumblr, you really could, you know, curate in, in a way that I think it set the stage for a lot of things to come, even if it did not uh, have a, direct influence on all of those things you know yeah uh one thing that was remarked upon a lot like like on an old tumblr you used to see these drawings these digital drawings of like the way when you open up a fantasy novel the way that there's a map right Mm, mm -hmm. there would be like this fantasy map of tumblr and portraying all of the different fandoms aesthetic blogs yada 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 as different regions right you know it would be like the fandom uh high plains and the Hmm. you know the uh the the deep sea of night blogging which nowadays you would call (laughs) shit posting yeah (laughs) um and there was that obsessive culture with the, the super who lock that was i i don't entirely know how to describe it to people like there's people that think it still exists mm. and they'll point to people that you know are still active in those fandoms now um i i definitely had one experience with a friend of mine named mark and um he had never seen the room before and was really confused why I would say, you know, he, he was um, really uh, interested in, he was a paleontology student, very interested in Tyrannosaurus. Uh, if he ever went into, oh, okay. you know, a long uh, diatribe about it, I would always say, it seems to me you are the expert, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> what a story, Mark. Um, so then as soon as we watched that movie, he was just, he was turning to me constantly. He's like, that's why you say that to me all the time. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, this is like soft grunge era Tumblr where you're like, there are these, uh, really contrasty photos of skinny kind of alternatively dressed hipsters, uh, you know they're dipping their tongues in glitter they have like the raccoon eye makeup you know they have their socks on but one sock is pulled higher than the other oh i forgot about that yeah yeah you know just this very deliberate 
you know, I, I think I think nowadays the suffix core would be attached to it. You know, the, all these different subsets. Mm. But anyways, so there was already an understanding that we were all on the same website and having vastly different experiences because of the people that we followed um, and then the things that we were blogged, in turn, the people that followed us. And, right. um, you know, this is there, believe it or not, was a time when, you know, Facebook used to post things chronologically. <laughs> Instagram used to post things chronologically, you know, there was an algorithm, probably, Mm -hmm. in all of these things, you know, that just as there kind of always was, you know, that intent to uh, market, collect data, but Mm -hmm. it hadn't totally been weaponized yet, Um, you know, the way it would in uh, the 2016 elections. Um, yeah, but we were kind of aware at that point that you were seeing a different internet than I was that mm-hmm. I could flip through someone else's Tumblr and not even recognize the website, you know, and, you know, th- this is something that to the extreme we see now in TikTok. Yes, where for sure, you, uh, you know, there's there's so many things that you will you won't see just because the algorithm either has determined you will not be interested in it um Mm -hmm. or you you don't know to seek it out and you know because because of this in the weird globalization era that we live in where we do not think of we don't think of regional cultures anymore really as having the same power you know um yeah people's accents are kind of getting more generalized you know if if you mm-hmm. live in a big city and you know and you you had a formal education it, chances are you are you know speaking a pretty uh a pretty universal dialect of american english yeah we we don't we don't think of you know if you're down south the only um music scene is country right right yeah yeah that 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 culture is becoming so accessible that it's no longer bound by region Mm -hmm. and yet uh on the internet there are such different especially with humor especially with humor you are seeing that you can you know tell a joke to people the same age as you but if they're not in sort of that same meme scape trademark, <laughs> they are not going to get the joke at all. I had a coworker once uh, when I worked at the jewelry store. She was like, do you like memes? I was like, hell yeah, I love memes. <laughs> and she shows me a printed out on a piece of Xerox paper. What? A, a picture. And this is in... 20 this has to be at this point uh 2015 okay and she has a printed out picture of (laughs) someone falling and in bold text on the top Mm -hmm. and the bottom it says bitches be tripping because i stuck my foot out oh wow um like like really old old you know just meme technology yeah. 
Someone should call Indiana Jones because that belongs in a museum. <laughs> Jesus oh, Christ. Oh, Indiana Joe. We are we're going oh. to be doing some digging today. Oh. Mm-hmm. I've never been approached with memes on paper. I hope I never am. You know, except for like when we would make posters for school for like club events, but we just didn't care and people would make it the most outrageous thing you've ever seen. Like just copy and paste everything from like meme Twitter in 2016 and put it on a poster board. Yeah, like, you know, you were trying to appeal to people in an era where, you know, we really try marketing is so yeah. is so key to everything. You know, in high school, you would have something mm-hmm. that's like a picture of Doge and it would be like math yeah. club, such smart. Wow. Doge is still around, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which I, I that's so that's such a meme that has survived so long. What about uh, L- Lucky Luciano? Oh, yeah, you know, you know he, had, he had to do it to him. He, he had to do it to him, and you know what? He's kept doing it for years and years. I saw <laughs> that picture, and I knew it had to be in Florida. And you know what it was? Ooh, what the color, the grass, and the color of the sidewalk. Oh wow! Like. That specific type of suburban architecture, just mm-hmm. someone did find out that he that that picture was taken in Florida, and I just knew oh my it. God. Like there is a specific oh color that the waterlogged sidewalks of Florida turn. Yeah. And that's like a holy site now. Yeah, imagine explaining. <laughs> you know, I had to do it to, him, and why that's a joke, and why it's funny to someone who does not have that vocabulary and that sense of humor i mean have you ever tried with your parents or just anyone remotely older than you you know when i was when i was a kid i would try to explain jokes to my parents and i mean i was kind Mm. of a i was kind of a details obsessed kid Mm. where i i wanted to describe things i had seen in great detail um, and I, you know, I, I quickly found out this was incredibly annoying. Oh, uh-huh. but you know, there would be like this thing where it's like, I would like try, I would be describing everything that happened in a scene from the land before time or the fairly <laughs> odd parents. And like, now, uh, they say this one joke, but the, you, you, you have to know that the Cosmo always does this one thing and that's why it's funny. That he did this other thing. Oh, you know, to explain it, it, why. Yeah, and I, I think I quit. I pretty quickly caught on to the fact that you know nobody, that my parents who did not consume those things, were not interested, and also like the joke was kind of lost. Like, yeah, at, at that point, like if you wanted to explain Shrek jokes, though. Mm. <laughs> well, like. The thing is, it's weird. Like, I feel like Shrek was universal. Like, I'm not. Oh, I, I mean, yeah. You, you know, the films had adult jokes in them. I yeah. mean, Shrek memes. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what I was getting at. Like, they are cryptid as anything. Well, and I think not as much as I as I think you would initially assume. And I, I have kind of this working mm. theory as to why. Okay shrek memes and like what i was sort of seeing and exposed to on tumblr like 
why that really resonates, I think, with a certain type of person that was growing up in that internet culture. And I think because it really is not that far removed from the Super Hulock obsession. Because, I mean, you... Okay. Do you remember how just obsessed isn't even the correct word? Um, but I'll, I'll use it. Obsessed people were with those actors, how much they hung yes. on to every word, every interview, every, you know, gif that they could turn black and white and make it artsy that they yep. could get of them. <laughs> and you're seeing them use that vocabulary again now, but now they're using it on Jimmy Neutron's dad or on Shrek. You know, oh my God, it's like it's, deep it, fried. Yeah, it's the... um, they are they're they're pointing out just how ridiculous that language was. the The obsession with Benedict Cumberbatch as a sex object. You know, when when Sherlock was at its yeah. full power before that break. Yeah, because Sherlock, you know, Sherlock, and what we'll see is one of the victims of this that we're you know sort of living in now, where. You have to be producing media and content fast enough to keep up with how quick culture is changing. Mm-hmm. For sure. You know, you look at what happened to Game of Thrones when it came out in its last season. You know, not only there's there's a lot to be there's a lot to <laughs> critique with that last season oh, of Game of Thrones. Yes. But the Game of Thrones was a long enough running show that it was like at that point, once it had been on like, you know, that year hiatus, it felt mm-hmm. like such a relic already. Yeah, there was it fell no, off the There hype. was not that that fan that fandom culture had already turned so sour and so cynical that uh by you know, by the time that, that final season came out, there there was nothing left. And I think Sherlock sort of yeah. was going to, was setting itself up for it. And it had no idea because it had this huge following. There were only a Sherlock, handful of yeah. episodes and people were obsessed with Benedict Cumberbatch. And like, I remember this one post that was like, did you hear? Uh, Benedict wants a kid. Think about how awesome this is. One, they had it outlined and numbered. One. Oh. <laughs> you get to have sex with Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh. Two, no periods for nine months. Three, you get to have Benedict's baby, and he loves you forever. There's so much. Okay, that's a lot to unpack. And, um, and the the huh. the weird the sexual energy. <laughs> yeah, that was in seeping. everything. That was like, I th- I think you know we have to look at you know a lot of that original population is older now. Yeah, honestly. You know, there's still young people on Tumblr, but we were kind of the younger people on it. Well, like, uh, the the Sherlock fandom is an odd one. I mean, I've been going to, like, Comic-Cons and stuff for, I don't know, seven years now? Maybe six? Uh, And, like, you know, when I first started going, that was big it was huge it was sherlock and doctor who and supernatural were massive fandoms that i was just like did not understand what was going on Mm -hmm. and the problem with sherlock was it was never really made 
to end up like that. I don't necessarily think all shows are, mm -hmm. but like Doctor Who's been going on forever, right? I mm -hmm. mean, this is something that has a cult following and it kind of revamped itself in the early 2000s. Game of Thrones was the book series that was already very popular and then the television show made it even more popular and it's designed in a way that I think it, you know, you want to attach to these characters and there's a lot of episodes to do so. Sherlock, each episode's a movie. Mm -hmm. You know, they're an hour and a half each, give or take, and there's only three per season. Mm -hmm. So it was so interesting. It was so unique to me because it was like, oh, I'm going to watch, you know, the, the Hellhounds of the Baskervillas, you know, like this one kind of Sherlock story taken in a whole different direction as an episode. And it's a movie. It's not just 30 minutes to an hour, right? The thing was, though, is that both, you know, Martin Freeman and, and um, Benedict Cumberbatch are famous actors at this point, And they're already doing the Hobbit movies halfway through the show. Mm -hmm. So there's already just massive scheduling conflicts and they're just doing this for the BBC. So you see that trail off and Stephen Moffat's doing most of the writing and he's also writing on Doctor Who and butchering the show to, you know, and I don't know, I have to go back and kind of look because I think at the time I was just angry that I wasn't getting fan service and I think a lot of people were, but you could argue that plots weren't making sense. But anyway, in Sherlock, it was very clear that he just stopped. Yeah. That it just, because you had that huge pause after season two and I really think that did it. It's kind of like the problem you get with um, Half-Life 3 that doesn't exist. Like, <laughs> that everybody's been waiting for this game forever. You know, you had Half-Life 2, and they've just been waiting. Mm -hmm. And Valve is never going to make it. I'm going to eat those words if they do. But Valve yeah. is, is never going to make it because it's, you cannot live up to that hype. Mm -hmm. It's been hyped for so long. No matter what they do, people aren't going to like it to a certain degree. Well, I, 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 think, I think you're touching on a very interesting point in all of this is mm -hmm. the ownership that the fans of these things feel and how much of their yeah. identities kind of get wrapped up in it and yeah it really presented itself as this community for you know who who knows what the you know books of the psychology of kind of <laughs> our generation will be you know in the same way that oh yeah it's been dissected so much for gen x and baby boomers greatest gen mm -hmm. you know they they when they talk about sort of the the psychology of a generation but in the very right. profound way that like millennials and gen z feel so lost and ineffectual in our own lives so powerless and the 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 consumption of media seem to sort of fill that void and i think that's why you know in th this is just you know my own theory you know based on nothing you know like like a lot mm. of theories i have in my head that's just you know my own kind of observations my own <laughs> like my like in you know in my head i have these elaborate fantasies about myself and one of them is me as a you know professor uh <laughs> you know, writing okay, theoretical it. sociological papers. Sure, sure. You know, this is this is me in, in that <laughs> version of my fantasy self. <laughs> <laughs> On your typewriter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just the... To, to sort of exert control and ownership of these things and just how much... That still now, still now, but, you know, nobody would want to admit it, um, just how much people tie their 
their well-being and their lives to fictional things. And I don't want I don't want to sound like I'm coming down too hard on people that do because mm-hmm. fictional things and media mean so much to me. And they yeah. they did to me growing up and they do now. Like I, you know, do get very invested in things. It's this um I I don't feel like though it is beyond critique and evaluation i think we kind of need to evaluate as a culture and maybe a, more specifically as as a generation why we feel this profound betrayal when you know a series doesn't live up to what we wanted it to or a creator or an actor you know you know turns out to be problematic why these things mm. just seem so sad and painful that uh that they're hard to move on from yeah i mean that's the thing you do see it and i think you see it still that people really really attach themselves to non-existent characters and i don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that yeah. right i don't i don't think it's a bad thing per se i think it can be dangerous well, if done yeah. incorrectly like yeah. the thing i remember um you know i like i said before i was really interested I, I was really into going to cons and i used to go a lot and i slowed down a bit and i slowed down a lot too and i realized that there was a lot of people who when you would go to see panels because i really enjoyed going to panels to hear um artists and actors talk about their craft and what they do and mm-hmm. i remember we saw like sebastian stan who plays bucky the winter soldier in in the marvel movies and such and mm-hmm. yeah it was so cool like he's up there talking and it's like oh my god it's a famous person you know mm-hmm. but i always i don't know i always look at it as a craft and i think maybe because i'm coming from the an art background at this point and we've met countless artists that it's like it's just somebody who's doing their job and it's their trade and it's what they love to do um but you would get people who would ask them questions like they're the character or like that yeah. they're the head of the CEO or they're like the CEO of Disney. And the thing that always <laughs> bothered me, I swear to God, like they would ask like, oh, well, like, is this actually going to happen with like Bucky? And are we going to get this whole scene? And do you know like what the plan is in the script? Because mm-hmm. they've told you. And he's like, man, I just act like, I don't know. They don't tell me I go up in front of the screen. And he was so sweet about mm-hmm. it. You know, he was nice because I think there's a recognition too that you are someone who's who's representative of a brand and also just of like a, a like a mythological character to some people. But then you'll get people like Michael uh, Rooker who played Yondu on um, the guardians of the galaxy. If you haven't seen that, he did. um, Oh my God. Walking dead. It was uh, a long hair boys brother who's super racist. And I'm blanking on his name. Um, Darn it. Uh, he, Norman Reedus's character's brother. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I remember he who played, talking he about. The guy, the guy yeah. who has to cut his hand off, right? Yeah, so he's like, you Spoiler know. Spoiler alert for through. season one of The Walking Dead. Sorry. Bro, it's on like, what are they on, 15? It's fine. All, Everybody's you know seen what? it, but yeah, all, spoiler alert. All of those characters, I haven't seen The Walking Dead in years. All of those characters are probably dead. I'm just going to say that all of those people are probably yeah, dead and the probably. show has moved on to something else. <laughs> probably. But so no need to worry. That, for sure. You know, that should so just that... play before 
The Walking Dead, if you rewatch it now, it's just like <laughs> all of these people are dead. Just don't, just, just don't even. Just, you're just watching this to catch up. Honestly, though. But so he, I, I've seen him at a, at a panel once and he, he's a funny guy because, you know, like he's got a really kind of dark sense of humor to a certain degree and just doesn't mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. he, I don't think is someone that really reacted to the, fans in a way of fan service where you had like sebastian stan who is very sweet and nice and kind of like yeah well i don't really talk with um disney that way because i'm an actor you know he addresses that Uh, michael rooker was a bit more harsh but he's so funny but he was kind of mean but this one guy was asking questions to him about like rocket raccoon and Groot, Mm -hmm. like they were real yeah like acting like these are real characters, these are real people. And I forget that the context of the question, but it was something like, do you think he would say this to him or what do you think he would say? And the guy's like, well, you know Rocket Raccoon isn't real, right? And the guy's like, uh, yeah. And it was just like, everybody laughed, but there was just such a tension <laughs> that you're like, you know, I know it's funny, but you know that guy was so into the thing. Yeah. He was so attached to those characters and to this story. And it's just, there's a bit of a discomfort with that where you're like, I'm watching somebody shatter somebody else's like, yeah, I don't know, love for something. But at the same time, it's like, you know, it's like you said, obsession. And I don't, again, I don't think it's the right word, but at the same time, it is kind of like, it is too much, mm-hmm. right? Like how much can you pour yourself and, and attach yourself to something? But I don't know. Like, I, I kind of get it. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's an identity for a lot of people, right? Yeah. To be interested in. Like, um, you kind of see that a lot with anime now mm-hmm. in a weird way. And I know Tumblr has plenty of it. But, like, I, I find it very funny that a lot of people are coming out and saying, like, in- including a lot of my friends, where it's like, you know, it's nice to be able to watch something that I and talk about something that I enjoy without getting bullied for it. Mm-hmm. Because back in the day, that was like, you got made fun of for watching anime. Oh, yeah. I, I never had an anime phase. I kind of just fell into Studio Ghibli and just would watch what I liked mm-hmm. and would fall in and out of it. Like, I think when I got into Tumblr, I was also watching Attack on Titan and I just, I need to watch it again, but like, I really couldn't stand it. <laughs> I mean, Attack on Titan, that was, that was another one of those shows that like was mm-hmm. one of the shows that you always saw pictures of people cosplaying yes. as. I mean, it, my sister did. Yeah, My sister well, like, one of those. I mean, even with like the questions and stuff, you look at how invested people are in, you know, the the two lead actors from Supernatural. Yeah. And just how tied up in that show people were. And to some extent, some people still are. There's a couple of people still clinging to it online. And, you know, people mm-hmm. still do show up to those conventions, um, you know, just to see them. Um, oh, yeah but they have they have this they have a very specific idea of what supernatural means yeah you know not as in in the sense that it is a you know admittedly successful (laughs) example of a you know a a a solid formula for you know network tv Mm, yeah it's finally ending yeah which is kind of weird to think about because that was the one thing i think a lot of well, that's why I fell off of the show because it was a monster of the week show that turned into something really interesting. Yeah, it did get and it kept did get going. Really, uh, 
into some bizarre philosophy and theology. Yeah. Well, I, I've heard a lot of arguments made that you're starting to see more now because of streaming and because of bigger budgets that there is this push to make seasons like a set amount of seasons and a beginning, a middle and an end of a TV show ending yeah. it when it needs to not keeping it going because views, because you know, you're going to fall into the how I met your mother problem yeah. where it goes on for nine seasons and it for sure did not have to. Well, you saw people, you know, realizing that with breaking bad, that yes. there would yeah. be absolutely no reason for breaking bad to go on from there because no. the ending is borderline perfect. Right, it finds its end, it, and then the story is over, and you can't necessarily, you know, yeah, it, and ruin then, that story. I mean, it's it's harder for sitcom-type shows to do that. Yeah. Uh, but, you yeah, know, that, that famously happened to Lost, where, you know... Oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> I love... Lost is the first TV show I fell into a fandom for. I bought my first guitar because of Charlie's guitar. Oh, is that why you have an ovation? That's why I have a cherry red ovation that I found used. Whoa. And it's the one he plays in the show and he has on the beach. Mm. And I wanted that guitar so bad. And I went to Guitar Center. It was, you know, and it I was found iconic it. enough that <laughs> I have not watched that in, you know, probably uh, a decade, but I remember that guitar that he played. Yeah. I remember there was the, the red ovation. Yeah. And it's a great guitar. And like, I loved that show. I mean, this is when like, because I had Netflix before it was really heavily used by everybody because yeah. they just started their streaming service. And I mean, I've been renting Netflix DVDs with my parents since I was a kid. Yeah. Like that's how we would watch movies. We just stopped mm -hmm. recently doing that. And I remember because I was like the first movie I ever watched on streaming was Poltergeist. Wow. Yeah, because I've never seen it. And I watched it on my phone. And I was like, this is weird. Um, and... I just, I don't know. I remember an entire summer just watching this show and becoming obsessed with it and then being disappointed and then <laughs> watching it again because I was sad. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And like, it's so funny because I still see those actors yeah. in so many different things. I mean, Charlie's also, um, the actor, Don Monaghan, is the one of the uh, characters from, or one of the actors in Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. And he plays Mary. And I grew up on the, series that was like my childhood show uh movie and so that was kind of funny for me and like i realized like oh these people like show up on different things yeah. you know but that also sort of played into you know the expanded universe type of thing now where it's mm -hmm. like we're like now it's kind of done as a joke but right. you know there would be things of like what if you know Doctor Who crossed over with Supernatural um, or, mm -hmm. you know, people writing fan fiction about um, One Direction era Harry Styles <laughs> meeting with President Obama. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, like that was that was funny when they did that in, in Brooklyn Nine-Nine and New Girl. They had a crossover. Yeah, for absolutely for, for a pretty no, no real reason. It was pretty inexplicable. No. No, it was just for fun. They were like, we can do that. Why not? And it was the weirdest crossover I think I've seen. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember on um, Nick when they did the Timmy Turner yeah. and Jimmy Neutron crossovers? Because yeah. those were the crossovers of a century. Yeah, those were like crossovers where you felt like, I mean, I feel like Timmy in uh, Jimmy Neutron's 
world looked horrifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just like just like you realize how important mm. art style is. When they had that yes. an- fairly recently, I mean, I say recently as it's the most recent episode of Supernatural <laughs> that I've seen because I did follow it for quite some time. But a few yeah. years ago, they had the animated episode <gasps> where they got sucked into the TV and they were in an episode of yes. Scooby-Doo. Yes, I love that, that episode. That made me realize how much better Supernatural would work as that cartoon. Yes, I watched that three seasons out of context. Yes, same. And it still holds same. up. I, I had no interest in seeing anything else that was going on, but it makes up for the <laughs> lack of budget. Their, yeah. their voice acting is fantastic because so they good. use such hammy voices. They're all just so <laughs> gruff and grim all the time. So, like, see it like, they're like, oh, wow, you know, we can like show a monster in full view on screen you know uh yeah in 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 a way that you know their budget never seemed to allow for before but you know to to this the the funny thing about all of this is i kind of knew all of these things about these shows a lot of the plot lines a lot Mm -hmm. of the big characters without ever having watching any of them because it was so yeah uh, prolific on tumblr you know, basically, once oh, yeah. I finally did sit down and watch some of them, I was like, oh, that's where that gif is from, you know? Yes, yes. Actually laughing when, you know, <laughs> when Misha Collins is like, hey, ass butt. You know, and then that one was so out of context for me always. I never understood <laughs> it because I didn't make it that far. Yeah, because I fell off at season five because I got bored. Yeah, yeah. It was around. It was around for so long, and it went through so many ups and downs. It's kind of mm-hmm. hilarious and amazing. The meta episodes were always the best. Um, yes, you know the, yes. the sort of smile and nod, uh, the the wink at the camera, the yeah. <laughs> but you know, just just remembering what type of presence online Misha Collins had. Where mm-hmm. do you remember Misha Apocalypse? No, not really. This might have been past the point where you were on Tumblr. I was again. Yeah. I was not in the know enough to know that this was being, this was going to happen. But on his birthday, right. I think one year, every and I mean every single post on Tumblr was of Misha Collins. I mean, some of them were jokes. Oh like gosh. it would show his face, um, photoshopped into. Uh, into the outline of the state of Michigan and it will be Michigan. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> um, others, you know, it would just be pictures of him with like hearts and stars around his face. Yeah. But I seriously mean you would scroll through Tumblr. It was nothing. Right. But Misha Collin. Oh my God. Unironically obsessed with this person. And, you know, the, all of <sighs> yeah. these things like uh, Les Mis uh the 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 movie remake with hugh jackman that came out that was so that was everywhere um so so i missed that oh that was they people were obsessed with that it was well it it was mm -hmm. on on some level it did different things but you know in, in sort of the same way that like a lot of the theater nerd side of tumblr was is now obsessed with hamilton you know, okay. it was this big, yeah. sweeping, epic costume drama. You know, the the musical numbers were like 
you know, people, uh, you know, would do all sorts of funny things or like just just like so much with the um, you know, references to those songs, different ways to perform mm-hmm. those songs. Um, that was yeah. it, it, it was so it was so big and it was everywhere. It was also you know tied into that whole culture of of these of these fan bases you know it was yeah you know you would see it in the same frequency maybe that you would see for things of harry potter on tumblr wow well that's the thing like when lay miz came out i was on tumblr Mm -hmm. but not enough i guess not as much like i was starting to kind of come off it yeah but i loved that movie and the musical i was I hesitate to say obsessed because I just enjoyed it. People were really above and beyond about it. Yeah. But I, I was like French revolution singing Hugh Jackman. Yeah. All right. Like, let's do it. This looks great. Like I, the King's speech was a good movie. I'm excited to see what Tom Hopper's going to do with this. And I went to go see it in the movie theater when it came out. Um, did I ever tell you that story? Did I ever no. tell you how I saw like miss? Okay. So like, I don't like going to movies by myself. That's <laughs> I mean, a big thing. Some people enjoy it. I just I have social anxiety. So, you know, I have to go with somebody. And I, I remember asking my dad to come with because I was like, he might like this. And we usually go to movies together all the time. And we're always looking for something new. So I said, hey, check this out. This looks kind of good. And I knew Les Mis was a musical. I didn't know it was an opera, basically. <laughs> and the one, so the one thing that keeps it from being an opera is they say one word in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. No one told me. So, and my dad kind of likes musicals. So we went and saw, and I'm not even kidding. There were five lines. All of the theaters at the movie theater I go to were filled with this movie, except for like two. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh my God, this is pretty good. It's going to be crazy. Like I'm waiting in a line to go see, like two lines. I was the line to get to the line to go see this movie. And we go in and it starts and, you know, the singing hits. Remember waiting in lines? Remember going to movie theaters? Oh God. I do. I, I don't like to think about it. Sorry. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> no, 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 no. But, um, but yeah, like it, it's crazy to think about now too. But we go in and we watch this movie and my dad, I'm, I'm like blown away. The music's amazing and it doesn't stop clearly because it's an opera and mm-hmm. my dad's just sitting there like not having a good time. No. <laughs> they sing, he just wasn't into it. I loved it. I was like, I got to see this movie again and I own it on DVD and stuff and I had the soundtrack. I was playing on piano. Like I love this movie. I, but, uh, I don't remember it being on the internet. I remember people in my school being obsessed with it, mm-hmm. like seeing it 40 times in the movie theater and paying for that, which oh, was yeah. kind of outrageous to me. But I missed that part of Tumblr, I guess. I mean, I think my problem is with the internet, I'm like a ghost. I don't really want to communicate with the internet, but I find myself drawn to it. Mm. Like I identify and or maybe even in the past more so like identified with a lot of things happening in a lot of these fandoms and ways to kind of express yourself but I don't I always found it very like uncomfortable to communicate with strangers through like Tumblr and stuff and and because Tumblr I didn't really understand how to use it like I use Instagram the most and I like that significantly more and I had YouTube and I was on YouTube significantly more than I was on Tumblr or any of these others but I think for me it was like easier Mm -hmm. because Tumblr with the notes and posting and stuff was so confusing well I mean back then also the format for the website was an absolute mess 
oh, it was garbage. My sister was very popular on Tumblr <laughs> for posting fandom stuff. Yeah. And this was like... Well, you, you could. You could. And, you know, that was also that whole era of really trying to legitimize um, fix as... Yes. Um, you know, as like... You know, I think a lot of it was done tongue-in-cheek, but mm-hmm. there were a lot of people that really wanted to validate it as an art form that... Um, yeah. you know, that you should take your fan fiction writing incredibly seriously and you should do all of this mm-hmm. research into the costumes and the uh period appropriate uh idioms and everything. It um and yeah. I, th- that still exists today a little bit. Oh yeah. Um oh no, it's it's but, massive, but back, I think. Back then though, there there was something mm-hmm. something very different um about how people would talk about and consume those things because I think people would talk a lot about fan fiction and head cannons in a way like it had already happened. You know, we've talked a little bit before yeah. about queer baiting, but people mm. were, you know, so, you know, people would always talk about very matter of factly about gay relationships that they would project into this media, mostly made by, yes. you know, straight men. Um, mm-hmm. that, you know, never had any text in the show itself to support those. Um, you know, it was always subtext. Yeah. And, you know, that was where those uh, fic writers, you know, really, you know, wanted to insert, basically, in, you know, in, in insert their own identities into these, um, into these uh, characters, you know, they were doing it with the Marvel movies. They were doing it with Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. It was people really wanted to 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 see representation in a way that it, you know, did not. You know, even now, I I can't really mm-hmm. even pretend like it exists <laughs> that much better. But in a way that it didn't really exist back then either. You know, it was common enough to see drawings of, um, you know. Hermione as black and people yeah. had kind of just decided Hermione is black so you know this yeah. is the representation we want to see that being said I feel like there was also a lot of and you know I'm, I'm not going to speak for you know fans of color that liked things that had a predominantly white fan base because mm-hmm. that's that's not an experience that I can speak from you know I'm a I'm a cis white man and, you know, most things seem, you know, pretty uh, catered to me most of the time. I have no idea what that's like. Right. I do think there was a type of white fan uh, that definitely flattered themselves for consuming media that they saw as progressive because the fan base was, you know, more diverse in terms of gender and ethnicity than the show itself yeah i get what you're saying yeah that there was you know such an effort to kind of to uh to queer and to and and to insert Mm -hmm. but you see you see this now too where people you know really want to insert themselves into into fiction which doesn't really work and we we can can talk about that in a in a minute like why (laughs) <laughs> why that why yeah. why that doesn't work but um 
you know, th there was definitely that group of people that thought of themselves as, well, yes, I love Harry Potter because, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, so progressive. Of course, I love the Marvel mm. movies because they're so progressive. And that's really how they mm. were read back then, because, yeah. we, you know, um, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend like those are, you know, super, uh, you know, because they're they certainly weren't presented as right wing. No, but they're not. They they are not. They are maybe not as challenging to the status quo as those fans would have um, liked to tell themselves back then. And I think you know, I think I think that speaks yeah. to the the genuineness of a lot of those people that they saw the possibility. Yeah, that's the thing. I think I realize more so now is how. Starved in a way people were for diversity. That's a yeah. Starved is a really good word because it was time. Like mm -hmm. it, this should have been, and it still should be because it's arguably not any better. But like, well, remember, remember Black Widow. Oh, do I? Yeah, that <laughs> it was such a big deal. Like, oh my gosh, there's a female superhero and she kicks ass and she's on the team yep. and you know all of this stuff. And then they're like, all right, so when's the movie coming out? And it just got pushed back even longer. Yeah, like that was the thing that like, because back then, mm -hmm. like they roasted DC all the time. Yeah. And for, you know, not having having all these half-assed attempts at a female superhero. And there was this yeah. expectation that Marvel was going to be different. And they arguably dropped the ball on that really hard. I mean, they... Joss Whedon really screwed up that character. Mm -hmm. And I, I, we can't pretend it's just one person's fault. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. it's clearly backed by a company. But I have I have a I'm I'm going to mm -hmm. I, I'm I'm going to cater this specifically to <laughs> that instance because I am not by any means signing off on everything that Joss Whedon has done. But yeah. I look at some of those directors who inherit these franchises. And mm -hmm. I'm just like, you know, you can, you can feel the frustration that they're like, yeah. I have a bunch of executives telling me what to do and what needs to be done so that I can sell toys. I have a bunch of yeah. people telling me how this has to connect to a million other movies that are currently in production. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. I, I can't even like... I, I don't have the energy to sit down and hate J.J. Abrams. No, you know? but, like, you will get people who challenge it. Yeah. Because, like, Taika Waititi comes in with Thor Ragnarok, oh, yeah. right? And blows it away. Breath of Fresh Air. Oh, it was amazing. I mean, it's, one, it's probably my favorite movie, to really, be honest. Though. But like, And it's the one where they, you know, had clearly <laughs> some more creative liberties. And mm -hmm. they were willing to take a chance. Yeah, but even then, like, he still got like his, a lot of freedom of the script taken away like yeah. for the character of valkyrie you know she's su supposed to be bisexual that is a major point and, it, and it's not necessarily an identity issue it's that the person who dies in her flashback was her girlfriend yeah it's somebody close to her it's not her friend it wasn't her best friend it's her girlfriend it's mm -hmm. a romantic partner it's somebody important to that character and that has to be muted mm -hmm. because allegedly right parts of the audience won't find that appealing mm -hmm. and so we have to change it and that's frustrating that that has to happen now 
right? Like, you know, that you still have to kind of do this. That's the thing with, like, Harry Potter, like, looking back, like, the fact that you have all these people inserting themselves and how kind of, I I think it's also, you know, it was kind of, I don't want to say nice. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's something innocent about that where you're looking for your representation and, and arguably... You could probably try to find it if you mm-hmm. don't think about it too much. But if you really start thinking about the way Harry Potter is, it's just not there. Yeah. And it's not even open-ended. It's not necessarily unknown. It's it's kind of written in stone. And J.K. Rowling kind of signed off with that, right? Yeah. Like she didn't leave it open to interpretation because she keeps retroactively going back and changing things. Well, you you saw her try at one point where she yeah, was like, yeah. oh, yeah, totally. Hermione could be black. Yeah, and you know, then it's oh, like, yeah, but... <laughs> Dumbledore, uh, Dumbledore could be gay, you know, and yeah, then, she... you know, does everything she can to bury all of those things. Exactly, exactly. And, like, I think what pointed it out to me, have you heard of uh, Schitt's Creek? Yeah. So that show, I think, did something that we've been waiting for for so long, mm-hmm. which was have, you know, diverse characters, for one, without without that being the drama. It's oh, this person's pansexual, great, okay, and that's it. And they're still a person, and they have their other drama that they're dealing with. It's mm-hmm. not about their sexual orientation. It's not about their identity for once, right? And it kind of changed the game, I think, on a lot of things. And you see a cult following for that show, too, and it yeah. deserves it. But it's kind of just like, I don't know, after I, I finished the show, I'm like thinking about that, and I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> there's so much we still need to kind of deal with in media about this kind of thing because the representation is lacking and there's a pushback sometimes to it but like you know you saw it in steven universe where that's one of the first different diverse and open representations of characters on tv and it didn't it got a lot of heat but and some weird fandoms coming out of it that were also toxic in themselves but universe now though is um it's one of those things where Okay, the the creators mm. and the show itself are not the problem. Like why no. people turned on that show, it was very specifically the fans. Oh, of yes. that show, you know, and this this sort of at that point, <sighs> we'd already seen this happen a couple of times, right? Where mm-hmm. there is this swell, there is this bubble, there is this enthusiasm for a thing that cannot be yeah. stopped. It is oh my OMG, unproblematic faves, you know, that there is yeah. this per- there is this idea that there's this perfect piece of media that everybody should love, and if you don't love it, you're terrible. And yes. um, you know At Game of Thrones. And uh, you know this the by virtue of oh my god look at the representation it's perfect it's perfect it's perfect everything is amazing and then one day it turns and the mm-hmm. the lash back is so like i think the first few times frightening but at this point it's just expected yeah. we watched mm-hmm. this happen so many times where Right now, I'm you're seeing the beginning of it where, you know, there's been this huge resurgence in interest in Avatar The Last Airbender, right? Oh, yeah. And, you know, there always has been a following for Avatar. Avatar is rightfully so very popular. But (laughs) you're seeing people reconnect with it. And immediately I was like, oh, no, Mm -hmm. there's 
people are being too enthusiastic, too obsessive. You know, it's it it is sort of like it's becoming like the office where people are watching it over and <sighs> over yeah. again. And you know what happens when you watch a TV show over and over again? You start noticing every little thing. And you know what? Yep. Nothing's perfect. And you're going to start to see, you know, maybe there's a problem with it. And you're going mm. to decide that the entire thing is flawed because it has a flaw. I'm not even entirely sure what they're going to latch on to, whether it be like they're going to... Someone is going to decide that Avatar is bad representation of one thing or another, or people are going to get very hung up on the fact that its creators are white. Something is going to happen, and people, people, people will turn on it. It's you. It, it is. It is getting too too big, and you're you're going to see it. Well, yeah. I mean, we already are. Like, I think. It's not fully there yet because it's kind of new that it's been out. Yeah. Well, I guess a couple months, but you know, and it's it's slowly building back a fan base and a resurgence. And I think for the most part, it's been a good. But oh, you see it, and I you see it all the time with Iroh. Yeah. Now I grew up on the show. It is a favorite of mine. I know we've talked about it in this museum before, but he is a character that's presented as very complicated and very interesting as a humanized version of oh, somebody yes. who did some terrible things. And the thing you see the most is, oh, well, I don't know why you all like him so much. He's a war criminal. And it's most always from people who haven't watched this show. And that's the thing. I'm always like, yeah, he is. And he's repenting for it. That's the point of this whole well, character look at arc. It, look at the same thing that, you know, happened really, I think, within the last year with Hamilton. Oh, uh, well, yeah. Hamilton meant so much to so many people and i don't think you can ever take it away that you know it was a really mm -hmm. big step forward for j just seeing diversity that much in the forefront on broadway right because yeah because Bro broadway has been a diverse uh place with a diverse audience for a while but it's mm -hmm. you know uh, is a little bit selective because it costs a lot to go see it. Yes. There have been plenty of musicals, really good, really, you know, well-acclaimed uh, musicals that, you know, feature uh, uh, people of color. But to see it on the level where, you know, j just a few years before, like what? It was the last... Um, Broadway show that really took everyone by storm to that extent was Book of Mormon, right? Yeah. Before that, it was maybe uh. Wicked <laughs> and The Lion King. Yeah. Um, which are all good shows. Sure. But and you know the, the Lion King definitely you know has that uh edge of having you know that blend of you know basically American Disney movie but also <laughs> has you know actual elements of african culture in it but still yeah. very much through an americanized lens oh um, yeah and then here comes hamilton and this is you know according to people this is the greatest most amazing mm -hmm. breakthrough thing ever and then people got so obsessed with it and then they turned on it because of you know the fact that it has complicated characters. <laughs> 
and that nobody can really decide because we're we're in such an era of you know not figuring out how we're able to decide we feel about america we can't figure yeah. out how we decide how we feel about hamilton which i think well, is is part of the point of it it yeah yeah i mean the thing with hamilton that was weird with the fan base was people did fanfic and ships for the founding fathers and their slave is, owners and, yeah, that's the uncomfortable part, right? <laughs> like, that's like the, mm, this or not, like, regardless of the patriotism, it's a little like, uh, yeah. okay. Hamilton is an interesting one because it's something where it's, n- it's like people were just like, this is the best thing ever. I've still never seen it. Neither about and it. I was, uh, and I was totally like, yeah, this is great. Like, Lin-Manuel Miranda, I'm into it. Like, cool. He seemed like a nice it. guy. I really only... Yeah, I had heard I had heard the music from the Heights, but mm-hmm. really I knew him from House. <laughs> oh, really? Did you ever uh, watch House? I've seen like one episode. At the and beginning of one of the seasons, House goes to rehab. Okay. Lin Manuel Miranda is his roommate. Oh my god! And he's like, I think I think he's manic depressive and. He thinks he's really good at rapping, but he's really bad. Oh no. And like does like a talent show with House. There's like there's like Yeah. I mean House is a show that also went off the rails. A little <laughs> but yeah. Like, you know, I remember this one part where they're like in group therapy and mm-hmm. I, I think his name's Alfie in the show. They're like, Alfie, why why don't you do um some of your singing? He's like, I don't sing, I rap. <laughs> and they're like well, why okay. why don't you do a rap to tell us about how you're feeling he's like when my time comes my rhyme comes my and he like stalls and house is like oh yeah you're a genius <laughs> you know and then like oh, and then man. the guy turns around and has one of the most successful musicals a hip-hop musicals of all time <laughs> literally well like the thing the thing with it too I, I mean there's a lot of things in musical theater that we for sure don't have time to get into yeah. but like it needs to be addressed because of first of all the class issues of like who you're selling this to yeah. who gets to watch it because that was always my problem with hamilton is it's like okay well it's this great musical but only like how m- many people in the world can go see it you know yeah. what i mean it's and like i mean now there's the movie out so maybe there's no excuse but like i mean you still have to pay for the streaming service but like yeah, that's that's significantly more accessible than seeing oh it for sure Broadway. You have a lot of people that are at least in a comfortable enough position in life to go see a Broadway play. And there is that element where you feel very flattered by yourself to have seen what you what is being touted Mm -hmm. as a very progressive piece of art. Yeah, and then I think the more people saw it and the more things happened and as it came as it yeah. lasted, people started asking questions. And I know there was a yeah. lot of drama between that. And reg- and you know, yeah. not getting into it too much, but like I think we're going to start seeing that with Avatar. And I mean, we already were with Korra, mm-hmm. right? Because people trash on Korra like non-stop. I'm just going to say it. It's a good show. Oh, yeah. It's a great show. Korra's awesome Mm -hmm. and if you don't think that that's your problem like it's just the gatekeeping on things Mm -hmm. is so frustrating and you see it time and time again everybody takes these things i think (laughs) hamilton's a good example because 
we desperately want to see ourselves in these characters that we love and identify with but the troubling thing is you're like oh wow i see myself in these characters right yeah and these characters did objectively terrible things exactly and you're like why can't i just have something where everybody is nice all and and Mm. unquestionably so and and i'm I'm being hyperbolic there's you know not really (laughs) That that's not really the 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 outcry is that we have uncomplicated characters, but you know right. when you want to project these things onto people based on historical people, yeah, it, you you have to play a little bit more with moral <laughs> relativity, and that that sort of gray area. Um, when yeah. I like, you know me, I you you and I saw jojo rabbit together in the theater yeah and you know i know not everybody loved that movie i really liked it it's i like that movie a lot yeah i mean i'm also coming from a different perspective with it than you would be but yeah i mean definitely um yeah i mean definitely i have a stake in it as you know as as someone with you know ashkenazi jewish ancestry right yeah, but but I think you know any 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 person could you know watch that and you know really really feel the pain of Elsa and oh yeah but you know you're watching Jojo who is you know a a Nazi youth but he's also a crazy little kid yeah you know like I think there's that one part where they're like you're not a Nazi you're nine you know yeah or something <laughs> um, yeah that's what Elsa tells him yeah because you know you're getting to see the indoctrination and stuff but you are also mm-hmm. it hurts that you recognize yourself in those characters and one character that i think people had a little bit of trouble with was um sam rockwell's character right yeah the you know gay nazi general Mm-hmm. And that could have totally in in a worse movie that would have been played more for laughs. Yes. But when you watch the movie and you think about the context of it, you realize, oh, this is a very sad, impossible, complicated story that's just happening on the fringes of, you know, kind of a dark comedy, right? That mm-hmm. there is you can tell, I think, by his last name, he is meant to be you know he probably comes from a prussian aristocratic family right oh yeah his father is probably a general his grandfather probably was a general like they're an old aristocratic uh prussian or bavarian um military family and Mm. when germany said we're going to war they followed because that's what they do and right uh, and that that's the way it was for generation after generation. And he is gay in a culture and especially in the um in the institutions at the time he would have been labeled degenerate and he would have been, you know, thrown into a concentration camp like everybody else if he had not, you know, also been an aristocrat and had the right last name. And there's historical precedent for that. You know, you do see people that were more outspoken within Nazi Germany. You know, they they were cautious because I think they were aware that 
oh, I can't, you know, threaten myself or my family too much. Right, but right. if you were an aristocrat, you, I hesitate to say treated better, mm-hmm. uh, but, but you know what I mean. There was yeah. like, there yeah, was more shuffling. Yeah. You know, the, the, the paleontologist Ernst Stromer, um, his family name was von Reichenbach. And oh, wow. <laughs> he was, so, so, you know, he has Vaughn in his last name. He came from an aristocratic German family. And he was uh, defensive of, uh, you know, his uh, Jewish colleagues who were being ousted from scientific institutions. And the Nazis were like, well, we can't kill him, mm. but we are going to send his sons to the deadliest fronts of the war. God. And Jeez. one dies and one goes missing. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's... Um, wow. You, you, ha- you have to imagine the feeling of being trapped mm-hmm. and just that moment of getting to put yourself in that headspace, that sort of imagination of what would I do? What, what, would, yeah. what would you do? And you want to be like, well, I would just not be a Nazi. <laughs> which yeah. is which is the correct answer but it's oh for sure it's the you 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 have to you have to think more about you you have to think about how people are and that mm-hmm. if people are afraid and people do do something that is do something cowardly in the name of self-preservation we can be angry with them and we can grapple with that uh, but I think we have to recognize the humanity in that. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, some, someone coming from a position that I'm not coming from, that was just such a, a humanizing struggle that was, that was there. You know, towards the end of the movie, he just does not care. He clearly knows mm-hmm. Germany is going to fall. And at this point, he's like, I'm going to go out in just... <laughs> I'm going to go out with a bang because I'm doomed either way. Exactly. When when you do when you do see that he's made that decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that movie and like in particular with that scene and that kind of dilemma, mm-hmm. and in general, I think we're seeing it more in media, kind of showing the moral gray area. Yeah. Particularly in war movies. Yeah. That's coming back. And I'm kind of happy yeah. about that. Because it's complicated. People are complicated. And situations are insanely complicated to understand and break down. And I don't think it's as ever black and white as people want to make it out to be. And I think now there's sort of... We we have enough time between older World War II movies and new ones where we can kind of look back and analyze them a bit more. Yeah. And really, I think, bring out some questions that were never really answered. And I think you're seeing that a lot in media in general and different TV shows and other things. Yeah. I don't know. I I hesitate. I don't want to generalize either. But I think in like a post kind of collapsed Tumblr and other things, you're seeing that outcry more. Yeah. But I think you're getting you're getting more of the nitpicking. You know, the Iroh is a war criminal, not the he is a complicated character. Well, it's not that it's not that it's because Iroh made you feel something for him. And yeah, 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 exactly. People feel offended that they were made to feel something for Mm. someone who did objectively terrible things. 
That's a good point. Yeah, actually. It, it's, you know, oh, the man. thing that makes people uncomfortable, I think, about um, Donuncha Gang Downfall, you know, where I'm not mm. going to say it. Oh, oh, Downfall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's not like it. I'm going to put air quotes around humanizes Hitler, but um, it, it does show that he was human. And that he's, yeah. he's a lunatic. He's completely detached from reality towards the end of the war and in, in general yeah. but you have that moment where you you see a person trapped and we've all been trapped before we've all been you know um either held accountable for something we did wrong or and i mean mm-hmm. on we're we're talking about vastly different, you know, scales compared to what <laughs> your average person's responsibility is. Right, but I think right. that's where storytelling, um, allegory, um, al- illusion, um, gets to uh, get gets to take place, and why it is mm-hmm. a fun and and very essential part of human imagination where for sure you can reflect on something that someone else did one one thing i wonder yeah. a lot about like because if i if i can argue with myself for a minute um <laughs> please which i do yours. like doing um that's 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 maybe the most jewish thing i do uh <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm pretty i'm pretty bad otherwise uh you know on on the one hand i'm very much like you know uh, an artist doesn't always consider every single aspect when they are making something. There's a a specific thing that they are interested in talking about, and there is other things that sort of fall to the periphery. And you know, you can kind of use tropes, conventions, and coding to just get you through the rest of it to tell the story that you're interested in. Um, right. But if you are an artist you have to acknowledge every area that you have control over. And, yes. um, you know, everything that you put within the frame as an artist, you are saying, this is the world I have made, and every decision that I made is open to the investigation of its implications. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, there's another thing that I wonder a lot about now in the age where we can rewatch all of these things so easily you know especially like uh something like like avatar that you know now is getting Mm. you know a lot some people you know some people our age are seeing it for the first time yeah for sure yeah but you know now we have the ability to rewatch it in a way that you didn't when it was first coming out and then you know when it wasn't available um for streaming for a while and you're you know like when Friends was available for streaming, I think yeah. it was starting to uh, become apparent to people. Because, like, I've never been someone that liked Friends. And I was so sick. I haven't either. I was so sick of hearing about it. I did not find any <sighs> of it funny. And then I was, like, kind of glad for the day that people were like, actually, Friends isn't that funny. All of these characters are terrible. Oh. Oh, same. I was like, oh, I'm not crazy. Yeah, yeah, but but because people could watch it over and over again. One, yes, so one thing exactly. that I wonder about is, um, you know, because back in the day, you uh, saw a movie once in the theater, 
mm-hmm. and then that was it and then if you got to and then if you lived long enough or you lived in the 80s you were able to the 80s onward you were able to rent and buy movies and watch them at home and True, yeah. you know eventually you know tv did reruns and all this other stuff but you know think about how many movies that people just saw once in the theater my when i was in mm. high school we had a history teacher named mr bradshaw and he was older like we weren't really sure why he was still teaching he was like shouldn't you okay. retire <laughs> oh, but he no. was he was one of these guys that like we loved him he's like he he had you know it, it seemed like he had lived through like the coolest parts of history like every time you talk to him like it, he had done something else you know oh wow you know he'd he'd worked in um he'd worked in uh sports journalism he'd uh you know done reporting with the police he'd uh gotten into a fight and gotten thrown out of the grand wizard of the kkk's house uh, oh my god for, for taking a stand on racial equality like like he would pound his chest in class like just getting so passionate about you know u.s politics like it's probably part of the reason why now i i have you know as, as much interest as i do in u.s politics and wanting to mm-hmm. always look at things from a historical context because he he was like the first sure. teacher i ever had that did that that was like oh wow let's okay. look at the history of the issue like the the first time that you know you realize that slavery was an issue going back to the founding of america it was not something that just randomly became a problem in the mid-1800s so but he would tell the story about his father and his father according to him saw one movie in his entire life whoa and that movie was birth of a nation oh my god so, you know, I imagine a very, you know, old-fashioned gentleman who went to the theater once and saw Birth of a Nation and then went on the rest of his life saying it was the greatest movie ever. Whoa. Yeah. That's terrifying. Yeah. To think about. Yeah. And okay, that kind of makes me happy that we have uh <laughs> options. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> But I, I, th- this is the thing I wonder about, and I, I always, you know, I, I sort of ask as an open question because I don't really know enough about, um, you know, the history of cinema, really, even. But I wonder how much differently it, it is. Uh, TV shows and movies are made now, uh, with the idea that people will be rewatching. You know, that mm, there's all yeah. of these little things in it and people are going to see this multiple times and they're going to get something new out of it every time they watch it. So we're going to leave all these little things in there. Like there's a t- there's TV shows like Archer that yeah. you don't hear all the jokes the first time you watch it. There's, oh, for sure. <laughs> you know, filmmakers like, you know, not, not to be basic indie boy on Maine, but Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> where yeah true where you know his movies are kind of made for multiple viewings right yes the people making things now 
are kind of making these things with the idea that people are going to be streaming this shit <laughs> and they're going <laughs> and we know now that there is this fan base that exists online because of you know the prevalence of social media now and how right. big of a part social media is part of the marketing of every single oh, one of these sure. movies like we know people are going to be watching this multiple times people are going to be making gifts people are going to be taking quotes from the movies and putting them on aesthetic background uh landscape pictures yeah they're gonna make memes of leonardo dicaprio yeah <laughs> exactly and i wonder how much that has changed movies um because i feel like there are movies that come out now that also feel like again this plays into how long it takes to get a movie off the ground but like they seem like movies that sound like they would have been a good idea five to ten years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. You see it a lot now in TV shows too. Yeah. Especially with ones made specifically on Netflix or all these other streaming services. Like even like Gravity Falls was doing it mm-hmm. with their the codes that would come up every episode and you'd have to kind of decode it oh, if you yeah. want an answer. Uh, Alex Hirsch knew what he wanted out of that show. Oh, it yeah. was a made for two seasons and it mm-hmm. had a beginning and a middle and an end like I was talking about earlier. Yeah. But I think too, I wonder what the difference would be now with, you know, the social media awareness of things, the cult followings, the Tumblr aesthetic. Yeah. Right. On all of these things. And it's almost like a way of archiving. Yeah. All of this information and it changes things because I think when people take in these movies, TV shows, um, books, all kinds of things, they kind of be it becomes their own and it becomes their own vision of it, their own ways of thinking for it. And there's something really interesting in that and how we consume drama and information and kind of it becomes something totally new mm-hmm. you know i think it triggers memories it reconstructs memories different yeah just like how if you were to read harry potter now with the context of understanding how jk rowling is it's gonna change mm-hmm. yeah and i think even you know this exhibit on tumblr that we're kind of setting up right now and, and also in just dead social media really highlights that that a lot of these older things these older memes creators and other things are you know there's a lot of baggage that comes with that and some of it's good and some of it's not well like you you feel like there are so many things like we will see something and we will be just confounded as to why did someone think this was a good idea exactly it's all right there why do you not understand that nobody wants this you know yeah it's, you know, that it's that meme of, you know, I don't want these, you know, <laughs> exactly like exactly. explaining, explaining that meme. Like, remember the uh, remember that Pepsi commercial where. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> uh, where. Uh, was it Kylie Jenner? To, yeah. Oh, yes. I solved do. racism, solved police brutality. We did it, boys. <laughs> it's over. Jesus. With, that like. Talk about tone deaf. Yeah, but you but you look at that commercial and there clearly was a team of people being like, we want people in hip outfits. So we're going to do a lot of research into, you know, cool street fashion. And, you know, we want to have, you know, the, the look of 
you know, mm-hmm. what protests look like on Instagram. Yeah. But I feel like you could have shown it to some to anyone and been like, this is a bad idea. Uh, yeah. Or remember earlier in quarantine when they had all those celebrities doing Imagine? Ugh. Singing Do Imagine. I. And like, you're like, you just needed one person to say, this is not what people want to see right now. It, like, they, they feel like they're coming from another era. And, you mm-hmm. know, what, what, this, what this ball pit kind of represents, if you're, you know, not familiar, and this is all just complete, you know, it all sounds like nonsense, all of these things that we're referring to, it all came to a head in one fateful July of 2014 where a Tumblr convention took place in Illinois. And DashCon was, was sort of made out of this thing that a lot of people on Tumblr had in their heads that they could run the world better than everyone else. That if only there was a Tumblr university. Mm. Like there would be drawings of what the uniforms would look like that like criminology would be taught by the Hannibal fandom and the Sherlock fandom, you know, uh, oh my God. and, and all, and that, that, you know, just like that kind of stuff. And then they right. were like, what if there was a Tumblr convention? Everything's so great on Tumblr. It's such an open and accepting community. Why isn't there a Tumblr convention? And then uh, so, so I think five to seven thousand people were, you know, what they said might show up to this. Um, people, you know, paid tickets to, you know, be there and be at the hotel all weekend. There was going to be a reading of Welcome to the Night Vale, which was an ex- extremely popular podcast at the time. Uh, performance by Steam Powered Giraffe. This was, you know, th- there was going to be people selling merch. There was going to be all this stuff that, you know, would normally be at a convention, but it was all Tumblr themed. There were like, you know, going to be panels on LGBT issues. There were going to be anti-bullying panels. There were going to be panels about like how to organize your dashboard and stuff like that, you know, and everyone shows up and there's nothing there. It's a uh, uh, instead of you know the minimum five thousand people, less than five hundred show up, mm. and you know almost every event that was promised as part of the tickets was canceled or never existed, or just was so mismanaged that the you know the creators walked. Uh, the the people who did Welcome to the Night Vale stuck it out till the very end and eventually walked because they uh, believed they were not going to be paid and they had already, you know, traveled on their own dime. They'd all been crammed into one hotel room and, you know, they were done appeasing these people that, you know, were trying to run a convention. And it, it was such a big disaster. The, it permanently shook not only Tumblr, but I think internet culture in general in a way that I don't even think most people 
realize that you know these things where omg let's see how many reblogs this uh post of of dean from supernatural and shorts can get mm. that that completely went away that people realized how blinded how toxic how how bizarre and kind of, and and immature that whole way of thinking was it was a very unfortunate awakening to you know people being selfish and lazy and taking advantage of a community that felt you know it felt like they were outsiders you know there, there's something to be mm. said as to you know just just how much of outsiders could you have been you know but these are these were people that that felt like outsiders and like they had found a community and there's there's something really admirable in that but people finally had a good look at this is what we all got duped into you know like i was not there but you know i remember pretty immediately the memes started coming especially about this ball pit because if you right. had paid the extra money on the ticket to come uh and see like you know steam powered giraffe and welcome to the night veil vale, they they sent out this thing saying you get an extra a free extra hour in the ball pit and it was the super you know the super sad <laughs> dinky uh kiddie oh pool gosh. sized ball pit inflatable ball pit and just somehow it seemed like the perfect metaphor of people being so specific about what they want and then realizing that it's it's not always just going to work itself out and you have to be ready for you 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 have to unfortunately imagine that people within your own community are not looking out for you right and there was there was before that there was not that self-evaluation in the way that there is now you know with with homestuck with mm. <laughs> with uh sherlock with doctor who with harry potter with les mis um you know it was a profound change in internet culture that you know people might recognize the change but i don't even know if they fully understand that it a lot of it has to do with this event because it also happened during the peak of all of these things like it was 2014 yeah. so dean had become a demon on supernatural doctor who i think was about to have a really big anniversary uh or some sort of crossover episode sherlock was coming back homestuck had updated uh there there were all of these things that were happening within that fandom community that it seemed like it was going it there was no stopping it right and it all came crashing down in the form of this ball pit you know this was this was yeah. the fire festival of 2014 <laughs> on a different scale god it really was yeah 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 i think you nailed it on that one well, you know, careful with the nails around the ball pit. A little, inflate, oh yeah, it'll yeah, deinflate yeah. Is, more. I mean, yes. Yeah, oh, true. It's one of a kind. I mean, we can't. Can we really do more damage though than already is there? Yeah. 
this ball pit has done more damage than we could ever do. Oh, that is for sure true. Oh, God. Oh, you know, we should probably go and, like, finish <laughs> the rest this of is, the setup. This is going to be a heck of an exhibit. Um, I, yeah. We didn't even scratch the surface on some of these things, and this was just the ball pit. Yeah, you know, I think the, rest the of this next is, time yeah. you're able to join us here at the Uncanny County Museum, we're going to have a uh, another dive into the history of internet cultures and the 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 defunct things that we once you know considered very essential to our online experience absolutely yeah there's a lot to to go through and i think it's gonna be quite a ride oh yeah well we'll see you next time for our next installment on our exhibit of internet culture from the uncanny county museum i've been zan peters and i've been joe Semino. see you next time bye, bye.